The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff. I'm your podcast host today. I'm also the Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary. So if you want to be a student, give me a call. Or if you want to make a donation, you could give me a call too. Uh, I have with me in the studio one of our graduates, the pastor, Reverend Benjamin Wantrup, who is originally from Blacksburg, Virginia, but is currently serving as a minister with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England in Wales in Bury St. Edmunds, East Anglia, England. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. He's also partnered with Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. Like I said, he graduated from the seminary with his Master of Divinity degree in the spring of 2016, and he completed his internship with Pastor Bill Schweitzer in Gateshead, England. Uh, He served there from 2011 to 2016, so he was a distant student for a while with us, and then completed his degree and graduated here in residence. He and his wife, Anna, are here on a visit along with their baby daughter, Joy, who's new to those of us who have not seen the Wantrips in a while. And it's just been a real blessed time having him here visiting us in Greenville at the seminary and visiting with us as well over at Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church during last night's prayer meeting. Um, Ben, why don't you tell us a bit about not just your ministry, but also how your education at Greenville uh, is feeding into the work that you're doing now. So we'll start with your ministry and the big picture of what it's like to minister in England with your convictions, drilling down into what it's like at the local congregation level. We'll talk a little bit about uh, your seminary education, and then you know I'll ask you for prayer requests um, at the end. But first, Tell us about confessional Presbyterian ministry in the United Kingdom. What are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that Bible-believing Christians and ministers are facing in the UK? Well, the first thing, Zach, is um, as a Presbyterian, uh, many people in England think that you're a part of a cult. Uh, As you'll know, Presbyterianism uh, never really took off in England, and um, even though there was a Presbyterian church, uh, really many of the congregations went liberal even as early as the 18th century, so they went Unitarian. Um, so uh, for many, many years, there hasn't really been a Presbyterian presence in in England. So one of the first things to get over with people is um, we're not uh, a cult. We're, we're actually uh, a part of historical um, and orthodox Christianity. Um Broader than that, um, really, Presbyterianism in England is something, like I said, that's new, but is growing. Um, so there's the denomination that I'm a part of, EPCW, um, and we're 18 churches. Uh, 13 of those were planted in the last 30 years, and the, the amount of time that we've been in existence. Um, there's also the IPC, the International Presbyterian Church, um, which has presbyteries um, on the continent, proto-presbytery, um, and then one in Korea, um, as well as the British Presbytery. Um, but the British Presbytery is really the biggest and strongest of those. Um, and I love my IPC brethren. They are um, 
really a denomination that's becoming more and more reformed, and that's really wonderful to see, and they're planting churches as well. Um, that's kind of what the, the situation looks like in terms of a confessional Presbyterian churches. It's small, um, but we're really excited about planting churches and, and growing Christ church in um, England. Some of the challenges from a cultural perspective is that uh, for those of your listeners who don't know, uh, really Christianity in England is uh, very small, particularly when we're talking about um, confessional churches, but even just churches that would faithfully preach God's word. I mean, many, many smaller towns in England, you just cannot find uh, churches that actually preach the gospel. Um, And church attendance is very small, um, many churches being turned into homes and businesses, uh, gymnasiums, restaurants, or pubs, all the rest of it. Um, and so you're, you're dealing with a population um, that is both increasingly ignorant of Christian things, they just don't know anything about uh, the scriptures, um, and also still a certain amount of hostility so although they know nothing um, they think they know something because there's a history of Christianity in the country and the the powers that be have sort of beaten into them that Christianity is uh, a horrible thing Um, and so in fact many people my age would um, see Christians not only as foolish and ignorant um, but actually is dangerous. So um, people that the state actually ought to get involved in, in curtailing and making sure they're not um, doing things that would be a danger to society. Um, so so that's the broader context for ministry um, in, in Britain. Um, and yet there's a lot of exciting opportunities there. The, the church, when there's more of a cost to uh, following Christ, um, there's a sense in which the church is purified um and and there's a there's a focusing of of what are we doing um rather than just sort of intermixing interchangeably with the culture um and so that's exciting as as we as we try to build faithful confessional churches um that will be there um even through difficult times um, and Lord willing, we pray for much more than that. We pray for a reformation revival of the church um, that would sweep through the whole land. Certainly, there's a winnowing in global Christianity in in general as it becomes less and less of a of a of a social good to identify as a Christian, be it in Europe or in the United States, um, and certainly as a Bible-believing Christian. Now, the the whole idea that what is this Presbyterian moniker, what is that? I've heard this before from one of our other graduates, Mike Cuneo, who's serving in Italy, where he has to, he runs up against the same kind of um, the same kind of issue. Now, is that issue common across the board in England, or is it just with with those who are outside of of the church period, or you know, are other nominal Christians in England who don't or aren't familiar with Presbyterianism when they hear you say, oh, "I'm a Presbyterian," do they equate it with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and and other uh, pseudo Christian sects? Yeah, I think that many of them would. Uh, it's a little easier for me in in English British contests because um, I can just say, well, 
in terms of church government, that's what the Church of Scotland is, and, and there's a long history of Presbyterianism in Scotland, and so that gives a very uh, nearby, tangible um, sort of example of that, and so people are a bit more comfortable with it. Oh, well, you know, our northern neighbours um, have done that, so, so it can't be too weird. <laughs> and it also gives a historical context for it. So it's probably a bit easier for me in England than it is for Mike in Italy, um, but but yeah, a lot of people, even in nominal circles, would would not really have any context for Presbyterian. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you for giving us that, that broad level overview. I want to get a little bit personal here. I mentioned before you're from Blacksburg, Virginia, though it seems like you've acquired a bit of, a, of an English accent. What sparked your personal interest in ministry in the United Kingdom? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I was in university at Virginia Tech, uh, still living in Blacksburg, and um, the church, uh, PCA church that I was attending, um, had a mini missions conference. And at that point, I had already come under care of the Blue Ridge Presbytery of the PCA. I was um, in, you know, talks with my session, and they were encouraging me to pursue uh, ministry. Um, so that was in my mind, but I had always assumed that I would minister in the United States. Um, and so this mini missions comes happened, and one of the missionaries was a man who'd spent a good bit of time in Germany, and he was really just talking about the need in Europe um, for churches and, and the really increasingly dire situation of Christianity in Europe. And that really just grabbed a hold of my heart. So afterwards, I went up and talked to him about it. And he said, well, you know, you don't really know until you've tested it in some way. Um, and so he offered uh, to get me in contact with a team leader of whatever country I wanted in Europe through MTW. And I said England. Um, so he did. That team leader offered me up to all his missionaries um, as a possible intern after I graduated. And um, that's how I got connected with Bill Schweitzer, um, who planted Gateshead Presbyterian Church. That's right, because Bill is um, is not just affiliated with EPCEW, but he's an MTW missionary and also the principal of uh, our extension campus there in Gateshead, Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Um, so if you're interested in uh, not just uh, distance education, but maybe studying abroad, that is an option for you. If you enroll in Greenville, you could go to Gateshead, England and partner with the EPCEW and pursue classes there, do some coursework in England and test a call to ministry much like uh, much like our brother Benjamin has. So that's all That's all very good. Is, is Bill the one that introduced you to Greenville Seminary, or had you already been familiar with us before you went to England? Well, the the General Assembly, PTA General Assembly, right before I went to England, um, I think I went to the Greenville booth and I was picking up some stuff. And um, so that's how I first came in contact. And I remember actually getting a promotional video and going back to where I was staying that evening and watching it on my computer and thinking, this is where I want to go to seminary. Oh, great. Um, but... Um, in, as it happened, I didn't actually end up initially going to Greenville. Um, I, I By the time I was actually going to seminary, I was in England and wanting to pursue ministry in England, so wanting to train in an English school. Um, and so I, I started off at the Free Church College, which is now Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Um, and for various reasons, uh, which are too long to go into now, um, after a year, um, 
bill was starting the extension campus, which is now uh, WTPS. And uh, so I was one of the first two students um, of the extension campus. And since I was interning for the church there, it worked really well. Very good. So we spoke about the challenges, the opportunities that you have in England as a Bible-believing Christian and as a confessional Presbyterian in particular. How has the EPCEW met the challenges and engaged with the opportunities that are unique to ministry in England? We've been largely focused on church planting and church planning really is God provides opportunity. So we don't necessarily have particular places that we we must plan churches uh, as the Lord provides opportunity with core groups um, and other things. Uh, we seek to um, take advantage of those opportunities. Sometimes there are places um, like Oxford, for instance, which is one of our upcoming church plants that we've been praying about planting a church um, in that city for a number of years. Um, and in fact, the denomination has tried before and, and it didn't work out. Um, but we're praying that, that the Lord would have mercy and, and cause a church to be built there in that important city in England. Um, so, I mean, really we're, we're committed to ordinary means ministry or committed to the centrality of the preaching of the gospel. We're uh, committed to building uh, confessional Presbyterian Reformed churches. And and we believe that that is really the answer. The, the, a lot of the craziness that we see in Britain, it all gets back to um, sin, our rebellion and alienation from God. Um, and people need to hear the gospel and they need to hear the gospel preached uh, clearly which we find in in the reformed um, understanding of the scriptures which is simply a biblical understanding of the scriptures um, and they need to be discipled in the context of, of a local church with elders who um, take seriously the role of, of pastoral ministry um, and so as a denomination we have recently simply been seeking to build churches like this um, in places where there aren't either any churches that would be preaching the gospel or aren't uh, reformed churches that would be clearly preaching the gospel. I mean, the scenario really seems uh, conducive to evangelistic ministry in particular. Are you finding that where you minister, you're getting into a lot of evangelistic conversations where you're telling people, you know, Jesus is not, you know, a swear word. Jesus is the name of the Savior of of mankind. And and you're walking people through the very basics of the gospel message. Yeah, isn't that incredible that um, I think I said the other day, um, like you're mentioning, that many people uh, wouldn't even know that Jesus is not just a swear word, but is is the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, absolutely. In in our situation, um, the church that I am a minister of, along with another man, about six years ago, was replanted um, into a particular community that um, is very dark spiritually, um, and the effects of sin um, are all over the place in terms of family breakdown and, and drugs and... Um, irresponsibility and just a complete lack of understanding or knowledge of anything of Christianity. Um, and so we've sought to to really um, move into this community 
and uh, build relationships with people, um, use every opportunity that we have to open up the scriptures with them, to pray, uh, to invite to church, um, and through really seeking to build relationships um, and and get into that community, uh, the Lord has blessed us with incredible opportunities. Um, I have opportunities all the time to, to walk through the basics with people. Everything from an, an older lady who um, I met with for, for six months, who was interested in joining the church, she'd been coming along, but really knew nothing of Christianity. And so we just uh, were talking about the very basic things like loving God um, before everything else with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, to uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, meeting regularly with young people who um, who are just wanting to study scripture um, and understand a little bit more about the faith and, and really challenging them with the gospel, but then also giving them a context for the scriptures. So walking through many of those Old Testament stories that uh, people here many times would learn in Sunday school, but the people that I'm working with just don't know. Um, and so going and talking about uh, the creation, about the fall, about Noah and the flood, uh, about Abraham and and the, the covenant to create a, a people for God's glory and, and to for God to bring to himself. Um, and of course, with all these things, um, Part of it's just giving them a context so that when they hear things in sermons and that sort of thing, that they have um, handles to, to grab a hold of them. But also, with all those stories, we're talking about the plan of redemption, and it's so easy to bring all of these things to, to Christ and uh, to, to people's need of a Savior. So um, all of these things are integral to, to what we're doing. What's amazing to me is that you can live in, in England with a country that has centuries of, of literature that is drawn from Scripture, that is full of biblical allusions and references, and to not know who King David is, to not know uh, maybe that Lucifer is the great adversary of mankind, to not... I mean, how, how would you be able to read John Milton, you know, for example? Not that I'm on the same theological wavelength as Milton in many ways, but I like reading Paradise Lost. <laughs> or, you know, how, how do you read these kinds of things and be totally ignorant of, of biblical literature? Um, but, of course, the greater good is gaining an acquaintance not just with the roots of English literature, but getting an acquaintance with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and winning eternal glory uh, with him. So I'm uh, just appreciative of your work, especially among young people there in Bury St. Edmunds. So now tell us a bit about Bury St. Edmunds. What a name. Um, I'm sure that some of our listeners right now are furiously typing Bury St. Edmunds into uh, Google Maps. Others are right now away from their computers and wanting some direction here. What is or where is, I'm sorry, where is Bury St. Edmunds? Well, for those of you who can conjure up some sort of picture of the United Kingdom in your mind. Um, you, you have that picture in your mind, you think off to the right side there's that bulge that goes off into the North Sea. That is East Anglia. Um, originally, way back, there was a kingdom of the East Angles in Saxon times. Um, that would have been roughly that area. But we're right in the centre of that bulge um, there in Bury St Edmunds um, in the county of Suffolk. Uh, who was St. Edmund, and was he buried somewhere nearby? 
<laughs> Good question. Um, Saint Edmund was a king, according to uh, legend and and the the records that we have of the East Angles back in Saxon times, and at least according to the legend, was was shot to death with arrows by the Vikings um, because he would not denounce his faith, actually, um, and so was made a saint by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and his remains, uh, according to, to the legend, were um, interred in the uh, the great abbey that was at the center of medieval Barry St. Edmunds. And that abbey, or at least the, the ruins of it, are still around to some degree, right? Yeah, the, it's actually a public garden um, at the moment. And so the, the walls that went around the abbey are still there, but the, most of the major buildings and, and, and all that for the abbey are really gone. Um, the cathedral of Bury, or uh, St. Edmund's Bury Cathedral is the proper way to say it, um, that was one of the sort of outer buildings of, of the abbey, um, and then a, a church um, the actu- actually the most evangelical of, of the Anglican churches in Barry Cinnamons was also originally part of the Abbey. So there's still bits and pieces, but most of it's pretty much gone. Very interesting. What kind of community is Barry St. Edmunds? Is it urban? Is it rural? Is it suburban? You know, wh- How would you classify it? Yeah, um, it is a market town. So uh, this would have been towns all over Britain, really, Um where they were in rural locations, but they were the center of that rural area because there all the farmers would come to sell their produce, to to um, sell their sheep or, or cows or whatever. Um, and actually, up until I think about 10 years ago, there still was a cattle market there in, in Barry St. Edmunds where farmers brought their sheep and cattle and whatnot and sold them. That's gone now, and there's a shopping centre on the site, actually. But um, but they still have a farmer's market on Wednesdays and, and Saturdays, so that's a little bit of a random minute. But it's, it's about thirty-five to 40,000 people, the the town, and it's really the centre of, of um, what would that be? That would be western Suffolk, um, which is a rural county, a lot of farming and that sort of thing. So a lot of farming, is there any kind what is the economy like in Bury St. Edmunds? What else, why do people live there? What kind of jobs do they get? There's a sugar factory there. Um, there's a lot of retail, so people from the surrounding area will come there to shop and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of retail jobs. Um, it's also somewhat of a retirement destination for people who've lived and worked in London there whole lives and we're about two hours from London so we're out in the countryside so you're not having to completely leave um, the area of the country that you're familiar with Um, if you just move two hours away it's a more idyllic sort of place to live and and that sort of thing um, from the rural perspective so we have a retirement people um, and then um, I think there's some other small industries um, as well. Now what kind of community is the church meeting? That is an important question because um, we've been describing all these things about Barry St. Edmunds, but where the church meets is actually a little bit different. Um, it's called the Howard Estate. Estate in British speak is simply a section of housing. So this would be about 5,000 houses. It's a pretty sizable um, location, but very distinct from the rest of the town. Uh, the sort of genesis of the Howard Estate was way back in... Um, the days after World War II, 
when uh, London was bombed out and overcrowded, and so a local government in London actually paid to have these houses built in Barry St. Emmons and shipped a bunch of EastEnders out to Barry St. Emmons. So uh, what I've been saying is that it would be somewhat familiar for if you took a bunch of uh, people from the Bronx or or a part of New York um, and you drop them in uh, the rural southeast somewhere um, and the sort of cultural uh, frictions and all that that would go with that. Um, and I'm sure I've offended both sides there with that illustration. But but nonetheless, you can understand the, the friction. And um, so that was the case. And still, this community is distinct from the rest of the town. And I, I, I imagine there wasn't actually a lot of planning done in terms of what these people would do for jobs and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of government dependence. Um, and the community has really just uh, degraded over the years um, economically, uh, socially, and and morally. Um, so that has led to its being very distinct from the rest of the town as well. Um, and also the, due to the fact that there's not really another um, evangelical church uh, seriously reaching out um, to the community. And there's about 5,000 people that live there in Howard Estates out of forty to 50,000 people in Greater Bury St. Edmunds? Yeah, well, it's actually 5,000 homes, mm. so it would be more at least 10,000 um, people, uh, probably more. Makes sense. Very good. Who makes up the church today, That your congregation? Yeah, so... Barry Simmons actually has a rich history of Presbyterianism. Um, there was a Presbyterian church that was considered one of the premier Presbyterian churches back in the 1600s and there in, in Barry St. Edmunds, um, which sadly, as I sort of hinted at earlier, went Unitarian in, in the, uh, semi, or sorry, yeah, the 1700s. Um, but today, the church is about 27 years old, and... Um, it's an interesting mix of people. So you've got a core um, made up of of myself, my wife, my little girl, uh, the other minister, um, his his wife, the three children, um, three couples in their sixties with grown children um, who've been there for the, the the life of the church about twenty seven years, and um, then a few other people, um, some single people, um, uh, a lady and her. 70s or something like that another man around the same age um a lady in her her 40s um, or around about that age um and and a few others like that about 18 people in the core um but then around that you've got uh, another group which is actually made up primarily of american air force so there's two american air force bases about half an hour from the town and so we've consistently got uh, a bunch of American Air Force people, which make up about 30 to 60% of the church, depending on how many we have at a particular time. And then, encouragingly, we've got what I call the English fringe. So those who have joined or or maybe just are attending the church, um, but they're not yet a part of the core, and yet um, they're there for the long term. So they're uh, people who potentially will be brought into the core, and it's really our hope and prayer and desire and something we're 
working towards is to bring them into the core that there might be a, a next generation of that core to carry on the work for for years um, to come so it's an odd mix of people in a sense and then you've got those from the estate who've um, some professed faith and joined the church some just sort of coming out of interest and at other places and in, in their journey um, so you've got these various different groups all in the church and you were telling us that your relationship with local community leaders or authorities, however you want to put it, is, is actually pretty warm. And when a family there in the estates is undergoing some kind of crisis that needs spiritual backup, so to speak, you guys will get a call and you'll be able to go and minister to a family that's facing some particular difficulties. Yeah, that's been one of the biggest blessings. So in England as a whole, many people are very close to the church, but by God's grace in his providential working with us, uh, the church has been able to develop good relationships with those who are leaders in the community. So they they will uh, make us aware of people who are struggling in various ways. And, and we get to, they don't always know that they're really struggling in a spiritual way, um, but we get to go along, um, help them in various ways, but also always um, be opening up scripture with them, be uh, praying with them, be inviting to church, um, and ultimately calling them to the fact that all the problems that they have are real problems, and and we want to um, be um, those who are compassionate and walking alongside them, but their problems, the root of them, are an alienation from their God, or the fact that they are rebels against him, um, and that whatever else um, is done is only a band-aid um, over their real problem. What they need is Christ. They need um, fullness of life that only comes through uh, union and communion with Him. Indeed, and that's that's a, that's a wonderful opportunity that you're given, and that you do have a fairly warm reception by leaders there in the community. Um, because based on what what you told us earlier about the macro picture of of English or or the culture of the United Kingdom, English culture, however you want to put it, and the hostility toward evangelical Christianity, it was surprising to me to hear yesterday and today that um, that you have this this warm relationship that allows that affords you opportunity to go and minister to folks in acute dire situations. It was also surprising to me that in a in a country where the government's basically running the economy and, and trying to take care of every aspect of life, right? In a socialistic kind of culture, there's still this recourse to uh, the church and, and just a non-governmental organization, period. So I, I'm thankful for the opportunities that you have there. Now, as far as worship is concerned, what does weekly church activity look like? What do, what do the Lord's Day's uh, gatherings and midweek gatherings look like in the church? Well, first and foremost, it's all about the Lord's Day. Um, I and the other minister there stress regularly as we're leading worship that this is the pinnacle of our week, um, that this is something that is the greatest privilege that we have as human beings to come into the presence of God, to worship uh, with his people, to have a, this amazing little foretaste of uh, what it will be for all eternity in the restored um, earth. And so that is right at the center of everything we do as as a church. All of our outreach, in fact, is all pointed towards um, getting people under the Word of God and showing them um, 
as best as we can with the help of the Spirit um, by the Word that um, they are worshippers and they are here to worship their God. So um, I think our worship would be um, similar to to many um, ordinary means of grace churches here. We um, we sing um, hymns that have been sung by the church for hundreds of years. Uh, we sing metrical psalms, um, normally about two hymns and two metrical psalms uh, per the morning service, and then actually we only sing uh, metrical psalms in the evening. And um, we we sing um, with the voices of the congregation. They are our choir, um, and we have a piano accompaniment. Um, we have a, a call to worship. Um, we sing, we pray, um, we hear from God's word, um, and we celebrate the sacraments of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So uh, simple, ordinary, biblical, reformed worship, um, and that's right at the center. Uh, throughout the week, um, the oasis in the midst of the week is the prayer meeting, where we gather together actually normally in one of the members' homes, and we have a, a study from Scripture, uh, a little bit of a short sermon basically, and then uh, we pray uh, for the needs of the, the church, for the needs of the denomination, for worldwide needs, um, even sometimes for things in the community. Um, and then uh, throughout the week we have uh, men's Bible studies. The, the ladies meet every other week for a ladies' fellowship. Um, there's a some evangelistic things like a coffee morning um, that really is uh, kind of a front porch thing for people in the community to, to come in. But again, we're always seeking to turn conversations to Christ um, to use those opportunities to build relationships to where we're inviting the church. Um, and then the youth Bible study I mentioned earlier. So that that's kind of the um, weekly um, activities of, of the church. How did your preparation for ministry here in Greenville um, or through Greenville, because you were in Gateshead for most of it, but at the seminary and in the local church equip you for the ministry that you're engaging in now? Yeah, I think it gave me a strong and growing confidence in God's Word and it helped me to understand the reliance that we have on the Holy Spirit um, and the way in which also the Spirit works uh, in conjunction with His Word, with with the Word of Christ. Um, and so we don't have to look to the world's methods or um, tactics to, to build or grow the church. In fact, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And the, I already had some of those convictions, but it strengthened and grew them. I think uh, being an intern in an English context has obviously been a very helpful thing as I've then um, gone back to minister in that context. But again, going back to the Word, um, it's helped me say, even though I'm in a situation that's difficult um, from a socio-economic perspective and all that kind of stuff, I don't have to um, stray from what the Word says. I, I can simply be confident in that. I think also Greenville gave me an appreciation for the rich 
reformed heritage that we have um, and the depths of that and the fact that we're ministering in in line of of many men who the Lord has used before and and wisdom that that God has given the church so I think of um, men um, from from Calvin to, to to Dabney to the Westminster divines or other great theologians um, as you know fathers in the faith um, and so I want to to read and, and dive into them um, because it's like going in and having a conversation with an elder brother in the faith um, and growing and gleaning from from their wisdom and so appreciation for that depth of of heritage that we have that can build us up and strengthen us when we realize that we go out on our own and we try to do things without being informed by all the work that's come before us we're really handicapping ourselves even if we do come to the right conclusions which totally possible. Uh, Scripture is sufficient, right? And the Holy Spirit will work in us to guide us into all truth, but frequently the Holy Spirit uses these uh, these handmaidens, you know, or our older brothers, as you put it, to, to help us get into the right spot, make sure we're not going off on some weird tangent on our own. Well, yeah, that is definitely an emphasis here at Greenville, is this uh, study of historical theology, you know, obviously recognizing weaknesses, but uh, engaging with the work that has come before. So how can we be praying for the congregation there in Barry St. Edmunds and praying for you and for Anna and Joy? One of the things we've been really asking for prayer is um, for the people that we work with on the Heart Estate, um, that the Spirit would work mindfully in their hearts and minds. And those particularly that we have contact with now, um, that that they would make professions of faith if they haven't already. But not only that, that they would be zealous for, for God. Um, that they would love his law, that they would love his son, that they would um, treasure uh, worship above all things. Um, And so these are the sorts of things that we're praying for. We're praying um, really for the estate, not not because we um, have a particular attachment to any a bit of real estate, but because we want the church to grow, we want Christ to be glorified in that location amongst those people, and so we're praying that there would be a a house where Christ is glorified, where the praises of God are sung, where where people are united to the church and growing um, all throughout that estate, on every walk and street and close and cul-de-sac, and so we would love it. For, if you would join us in that prayer and pray as well that we would be strengthened. We're a small uh, church with uh, many uh, things that we're trying to do um, as we seek to minister to the American military folks, as we seek to reach out to the estate. So please pray that we'd be strengthened with mature Christians to grow that core. Uh, that's another big prayer that we're um, praying regularly before our God. Very good. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm going to direct our listeners to how they can be in touch with you and, and receive updates or or even give to your ministry, because Ben is, like I said, working with Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship here in the States, through whom he's raising support, and he and Anna are in need of a couple hundred dollars a month or a few hundred dollars a month in order to get to the point where this is really going to be long-term sustainable for them. And you can read Read more about his ministry and how to give, if if you're so inclined, at PEF, that's Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship, PEFministry.org slash Wantrup, 
www.trip.html. And Wantrip is spelled W-O-N as in Nancy, T-R-O-P as in Peter. You can also reach him by email at B as in Ben, Wantrip at gmail.com. I will uh, put that information on uh, in, in the description of, uh, of the podcast as well for your use. But at the very least, I implore you, as I do frequently in our graduate spotlights and denominational debriefs and other interviews, to pray for the ministry uh, that the Wantrips are so privileged to engage in there and bury St. Edmunds in a land that once knew a, a, a rich um, biblical Presbyterianism um, and is now becoming reacquainted with the same. We thank the Lord for it. And we thank the Lord for your ministry, Ben. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners before I let you go? I just want to echo what Zach said. Um, pray for us. We need the Spirit's work. We are poor, uh, dull tools without Him. So we, we appreciate your prayers, and we're thankful uh, for what the Lord um, has done and is doing. Thank you, Ben, and God bless you, brother. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.